This is the Embrace the Messy podcast. I'm Shannon Schinkel. I'm a high school educator, challenge seeker, lifelong learner, and embracer of all things messy. I find my inspiration from individuals who are passionate about learning and embracing change. Join me as I share my own experiences and interview people who will inspire you to embrace the messy too. Educators, I have an idea. What if we started looking at our courses as not learning confined to a small period of time and instead as learning experiences for all students of the same age and in the same course? What if the premise behind our courses is for all students to meet any level of proficiency for the standards including invisible levels that come before what is considered minimally meeting. Let's say you're working with four levels of proficiency. We'll start with level one, which is minimally meeting, and then we'll have two, three, and four, which will be the highest level of proficiency. We'd sit down, of course, and determine the four levels of proficiency, develop that criteria for every grade level for each standard, but then considering there will likely be students who need challenges that come before level one, will develop criteria in preparation for them as well. Let's pretend we have a standard called students will be able to make cookies. Now this is not about being in a foods class, but this is just a hypothetical. I'm just using it as an analogy, right? Students will be able to make cookies. Okay, and this is a standard that repeats itself from grade level to grade level. Okay, so here are the goals. In grade five, students will be able to make cookies, will be able to make refrigerator cookies. In grade six, right, it changes a bit. They will be able to make drop cookies. In grade seven, they will be able to make mixed cookies texture cookies. So you can see how it changes, it fluctuates, it's in upticks of sophistication with each grade level, right? So let's say you're teaching a grade seven class, but there are students who aren't ready for mixed texture cookies. Guess what? They're not even ready for drop cookies. They're in grade seven, but are struggling with grade six. Here's where I'd start. I want you to envision a single point rubric, three columns. Put the goals for grades five, six, and seven for this standard down the center. So down the center, it would say, students will be able to make refrigerator cookies, students will be able to make drop cookies, and students will be able to make mixed textured cookies. Then the other two columns can be labeled glows, what I did well, and grows my setbacks and next steps. So this grade seven class, I would get them to start by making refrigerator cookies. I know it's a grade five version of the standard. Yes, many, most of them have done it before, but they need to see what success looks like. And that sometimes means going down a grade level or two or three to build up their confidence. 
the student who mastered it last year in grade six or the year before in grade five will master it again and feel just as confident as they did before. But it is for those students who aren't ready that they will get the opportunity to feel that same confidence. Here's what you can do. If these standards are actions, they are skills or processes, things, something that students will be able to do, you could play around with the grade seven content, even though it's a grade five skill. And that way it feels like it's a little bit different. So for example, if you made, oh, what's everybody familiar with? Refrigerator cookies, haystacks. If you were used to always make haystacks in grade five, when you make refrigerator cookies in grade six, use some kind of a different ingredient. In grade seven, some kind of a different ingredient, but you're still working on refrigerator cookies in order to meet that um, challenge. The goal ultimately in the course is to get to that grade seven version of the standard, right? To be able to make mixed texture cookies. But we don't wanna throw them into that right off the bat if they don't know how to do it, what they were supposed to be able to know how to do in grade five or grade six. And that's no fault of the teacher. Sometimes kids are just not ready for the standard in the grade level that they're in. So this gives them the opportunity, again, to see success. So they don't have to stay there. We don't want them to stay there. We do want them to get to at least a level one for the grade seven version of the standard. But we need to sometimes go back in order for them to feel confident. Now, what if you have a student in your class who has an intellectual disability? So they might need a replacement goal. This is what we used to call a modified goal, okay? But now we use the words replacement goal. You can first observe them making cookies with a partner or a paraprofessional, and then maybe in collaboration with a resource teacher, with the student, with the paraprofessional, develop individualized goals using the same four levels as their peers, but you're going to make the criteria exclusive to them and their needs. So for example, their level one might be, I can stir the dry ingredients together on my own. So this would be a goal for the students who are neurotypical, okay? But this is a goal for this particular student. Level two might be, I can hold the spoon and help stir the batter right? Level three might be I can stir the cookie batter for a few seconds on my own. It is the same concept as the single point rubric, right? By going down a few grade levels for those, for the rest, for some, the kids in the, the whole class, it gives them a chance to see what success looks like. For a student who wouldn't use the same proficiency scale criteria, who needs a replacement goal, you wanna create criteria so they too feel success. My point in all of this is that all students are ultimately making cookies. All students, the students who came in at level four in grade six 
are still making cookies alongside their peers and then the students who might normally be placed in a resource room, right, are in your class. They're also making cookies with their own goals. And the best part is all of the students, including the students who needed a replacement goal, can also use that same single point rubric to reflect on their grows and their glows based on their own personal goals. Why go to all this trouble? They are all our students. It's simple. It's up to us to welcome them and love them in our rooms. We would never discriminate against kids based on gender, race, or body type. Why would we discriminate against kids because they don't meet what the world has defined as the expectation and move them out of our rooms? When we move them out of our rooms because they don't meet the average, we are sending them a message. They don't belong. All students belong. They don't need to go somewhere else to bake drop cookies just because in grade eight, it's only mixed texture cookies on the agenda. But that's what's happening. The kids who can't get past the recipe never make it to level one and the class is moving on to the next standard. If they don't feel successful in the cookie standard, what do you think will be their disposition going into the biscuit standard? They're going to feel deflated. These students could be successful and can be supported and encouraged by their peers. We can teach the class how to collaboratively learn together. It is 2023 and kids have never been so disconnected. And yet by excluding them, they are now not only disconnected from each other, but disconnected from the teacher. When we move them out of rooms, when we segregate kids and when we stream them. Here's the thing. We're going we're always gonna have kids who need goals that come before the grade level expectation. I have yet to teach a class where a student, I, I always have a handful of students who are not ready for that grade level expectation. So if we know what's gonna happen, plan with them in mind, rather than putting them in a situation that they cannot handle and then end up being moved out. That's the kicker here. We can't keep teaching our courses the way we have been and keep complaining that there are kids who are not ready for our classes. We know what's going to happen. So plan with all students in mind and develop collaborative learning skills and community. Doesn't that sound good though? Like collaborative learning skills and community. That's our world. And it sounds pretty darn awesome to me. Now, I know that this opening feels a little bit like a rant and I'm just going to own it. It is. Okay. It's, you know, based on some of my frustration. But many of my assertions about inclusive classrooms comes from my brilliant friend, Dr. Shelley Moore. Dr. Moore is an author and speaker with a passion for teaching to diversity and showing educators around the world how to make their classrooms places where all students thrive. Her book, One Without the Other, Stories of Unity Through Diversity and Inclusion, the Five More Minutes podcast, and her Five More Minutes video series are a must read, listen, and watch for every educator. She's my hero. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Shelley Moore. Shelley Moore, welcome to the Embracing Hello. Messy podcast. Hello. 
This is so fun. Can you believe that we've never had a conversation? Like like a like it, a real conversation. It, just, it doesn't even make sense. It's outrageous. We it's outrageous. M- we met once, yeah. but it was like really like it was before I got into all this assessment stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like you you came and did spring fling. You were like the keynote. Oh, that was years Prince ago. George years yeah, ago. Yeah. And you signed my book and you were, you know, I was just loving it. Um, but thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Oh man. I I want to say something to you before before we get into all the questions, and that's the impact that all of the work that you've done has had such an impact on me now but but here's the thing the funny thing is if I were to go back when I was first introduced to all of your wonderful expertise it was through our mutual friend Katie Marin oh good old she was helping I know she's lovely I miss her so much (laughs) um and she was introducing me to learning maps yeah and at a granular level like 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 if we think of it like at sea level I understood it, but at, I didn't have that 20,000 feet experience yet. I had to, for sure. I had to wait. I had to wait. So it was over. I had, I wasn't ready for it yet. It's like, I understood it. I didn't understood the big impact. And then it was a couple of years later when I started working on things like proficiency scales and sequences. Oh my gosh. I just, I just came back to all of it's your stuff. Very powerful. Yeah. I, I got it. I got that view from yeah. 20,000 feet and realized how powerful it yeah. really is. And I think I like telling that story to people because it's really important. Not everyone's going to get everything all at the same time. Right. 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 Right away. Okay. I'm so, so. glad it's useful. Cause I think like when I first, cause like I say, like, this is our first conversation, but I was very aware, we're aware of the work you were doing because exactly how you say, like you can learn, you can like read about continuums and you can understand them conceptually, but like to understand the impact and how it opened, how much it, like, I think the answer to how we do inclusion is continuums. Yes. And when I started to see the work that you were doing, I was like, Shannon gets it. She gets it, and not everybody <laughs> gets right. it. It took me a you while, know? though. It, it took me a while, but I think so everything's a journey, right? We've been so conditioned as educators to look for deficits, and you were one of the first people that were like, "You saw it. You saw the difference of a continuum versus kind of like yes. the historical like deficit based rubric." And I'm yes. like, yes. "You and I." rebellious it was so exciting machine okay because and you took it and you made it very practical you know you made yeah. it not I'm trying anymore and so I, that's I, why I'm, it's like I'm I, I'm trying I'm you're on trying. my radar early woohoo I'm like being on your <laughs> radar so I love hearing I'm, I'm really fascinated by origin stories I, yeah. I think there's a real power especially in storytelling as I've already said and I know that your journey into all of this inclusion stuff was a rocky road like there was positives and negatives right like you had educators who did not understand you and then you stumbled upon you came across you had one educator who did understand you and that led to you wanting to make a difference and make change can you share share with us a little bit about your 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 story yeah um so I grew up in Alberta and oh Alberta it was like okay so in Alberta 
standardized exam started in grade three. Oh, yikes. When, like in the 80s. Okay. Okay. So, but like, I kind of like, I make the joke that's actually like very real. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I kind of got to grade three by being funny, cute, and white. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, okay. I could rely <laughs> on that privilege and ride that <laughs> privilege train. Mm-hmm. It was coping and mechanism. Then, t- well, totally, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then grade three came and all of a sudden it's like wait I'm supposed to like this is why like the word should just irks me because I'm like this is when the should started this is where Shelly should be this is what Shelly should be doing this is how she should be behaving so in grade three that was the year that I was diagnosed with having a learning disability now I didn't understand what any of that was at the time I remember getting assessed um, my mom didn't even know. Like, this is, like, how long ago it was. Like, I asked her later on. I'm like, did you know? Like, the only reason why I knew is because a teacher told me later on. Like, so like how, t- how long How long later on? Like, how long oh, did you like, go without in learning my 20s, understanding it? In my 20s, like, no one talked about it right and so all of a sudden I just knew that something was wrong and I had all this pull out and all this like back at the 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 back table group work and the thing about you know the 80s is that the really only support you get is just try harder Mm. or just think about it more and Mm -hmm. so it just like school started to be this place where I just I just I wasn't successful and so what what happened to me and often happens to many kids is we get labeled pretty early as being disruptive and talkative and la 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 behaviorally la 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 Mm -hmm. but when I look back like I don't think I was strategic enough to be manipulative but I was resourceful enough to know how to get out of situations that I knew I wouldn't be successful in. Right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I learned pretty quickly some coping mechanisms to like dodge the bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that created this kind of long line of, you know, tumultuous educational experiences. And so I just, um, the, the interesting thing when I think back though, is that it was only school that I felt that. I didn't feel limited outside of school. I, I was fine anywhere. You were fine on the playground and everything like that yeah, no, because you just, had a bubbly personality, right? Well, and because I didn't have to write. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I could talk. I could play. Mm-hmm. I could run. You know, I could be mm-hmm. social because I mean, I can talk all day. Talking is not the problem. You know, it's, it's you, you and I both. Right. Right. <laughs> and reading like, oh man, it just was, it was so cognitively demanding. And because nobody told me what was happening, I just thought I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And because there was no actual strategies, I thought I was broken. And so mm-hmm. this became my story of school. It's like school is where I am not successful. So I don't like it. And so it just, and I didn't, and I, and I just thought that's what school was. I didn't know there was an alternative way. I didn't know that there was schools that could be different. And so really it all kind of came to a head in grade seven, because in grade seven is when junior high starts. And so how, like, you know, this is the year that, so like, I'm a little disabled. This is the year I get a little chubby. It's the year that I realize I'm a little gay. And like in a really conservative province in the eighties, it's like probably the, the the trifecta of awful. So that's the year I was like, just really bullied. And, you know, there's no pink shirt days in the eighties. So <laughs> the strategy for bullying was we didn't see it, you know? So like my mom is trying to like, 
support me because I don't want to go to school. I'm failing all my classes. Like I stopped going to school and because I'm a Leo, I take matters into my own hands. And so like, although there's no anti-bullying campaigns, there was absolutely zero tolerance campaigns. And so when I tried to beat up my bully, I was expelled. And so this just became this like compounding story for me, you know, like school's not where I'm successful. School's where I'm in trouble. School, like blah, 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 blah. And so really Mm -hmm. where it turned around was grade eight because grade eight was was the opportunity that I had to go to a middle school, which I didn't realize at the time was different than a junior high. And Mm -hmm. so like, like a junior high is, is a small high, is a high school for smaller children. Whereas a middle school, how it's supposed to be, I know it's not always true, but a middle school is designed for the research for like around research and pedagogy specifically for students in middle grades. Six, and seven, if, eight, right? Yeah, like kind of like six to nine. And if okay, you have yep. children or ha- remember being that age or have taught that age, you know that like mm-hmm. they are not small high school students. Right. They, they're from another planet. And so this whole school was set up around what middle schoolers needed which what's the number one thing that middle schoolers need what do you think connection connection community friendships yeah identity and that's where my friend Leighton Schneller taught me for the first time yeah yeah so that so he that was his first job was at that school so this whole school was was a different like we were in teams we were cross-grade groupings um, this is the first time that there was, I was in a school, there's no special education department, you know, like there were support teachers working with everybody. There was educational assistants everywhere. The school was in teams, like um, it was Apple's first technology site in Canada. So we had okay. assistive technology, which was a game changer for me. Um, everything was inquiry oriented. Like it was so, so ahead of its time. And we, like, I completely excelled. Like, I went from I hate school to I never want to leave school. And it kind of, like, when I when I talk about, you know, why inclusion matters to me today, I think about the glimpse that that school gave me. Like, for the first time in my life, school was easy. School was fun. School was possibilities. School was a place not only that I, like, just had to go to, but I didn't want to leave. And so when we talk about the difference between like being integrated and being included, I think about my grade seven versus my grade eight year. Cause my grade seven, I had to go to school. Yeah. It was a total, it was a total 180. Totally. Thanks to Layton like, and that school. I went on the bus, but I didn't go into the building. Do you know what I mean? And like, no one even noticed I wasn't there. My mom didn't, like, no one called my mom to say I was absent. Like it just was outrageous. Okay. The grade seven year. It was like this completely 180 of, oh, this is how school's supposed to be, you know? And it just like that has become my drive for everything because like, that's why we need to do this work. That school didn't get any more resources than anyone else. But what they did is they didn't, it was a brand new school. So they didn't have to deal with the history of we've never, we've always done it this way, or they've never, they didn't have to deal with the history of that's, that's not how we do things. They could start from scratch and Mm. build a school for what students needed. And it worked. That's, are you familiar with the work of Heather Lyon? All right. Engagement is not a unicorn. It's a narwhal. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is, I'm, I'm thinking about 
right now, if you think about the difference between like she has the, the engagement matrix, right? You yeah, yeah. Non-compliant to compliant and the difference between being interested and absorbed in school. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got, first of all, yeah. just going from either non-compliant or compliant to interested is the connection piece, oh, is huge. the community place mm-hmm. piece, right? It might not even be like, you know, and you're interested also in the tasks. So that's what I was hearing you and you were talking about how you like the inquiry and the connection and the community. Oh. I want you to think about, I want you to go back. I'm going to get just a little, little granular here. When you think about yeah, what yeah. was the first moment that you can recall like having a conversation with Leighton and 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 feeling like this person gets me this person sees me for well, who I am I'm gonna I'm gonna change it a bit because okay I remember that conversation but it wasn't Leighton because I hadn't met him yet oh okay okay okay, okay. So, but I know I know exactly what you're asking and I'm gonna tell you because I remember the moment okay so it's the Sunday before school starts okay mm-hmm I have been expelled since May. I haven't been in school for months. Okay. So I'm going to this new school. I don't know anything about this new school. Okay. The mm-hmm. Sunday before school starts, the phone rings. My mom's like, Shelly, it's your teacher on the phone. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Why is my teacher calling me? Like, right. I am not even oh there. My God. So I immediately right. get need defensive. your reaction, right? Yeah. Immediately get defensive. And I pick up the phone. I'm like, what? <laughs> this woman. <laughs> She's like, hi, Shelly. My name is Mrs. Smith. I'll be your teacher this year. And I'm like, why are you calling me? And she's like, well, because tomorrow's a big day. And I want, you know, and that there's going to be like media here. And there's going to be a lot of people here. I just want to make sure you know where I am. And I don't understand why she's calling me. I don't know why she's calling me. And I'm like, okay. And I'm 12. Well, now actually I'm 13 when this car. So I'm sassy. And then she's just like, we're going to be in this room and I'll be wearing a red gingham shirt. And like, my mom's a sewer. So like, in my mind, I'm like, great. I have a picnic table teacher. This is all I'm thinking about. <laughs> and she's, I'm like, okay, hey, fine. Weird. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand why she called me. And then when I get to school the next day, it is busy and overwhelming. And guess who I thought of? picnic table teacher yep there you go go and find her and she's exactly where she said she'd be she knew who i was she's like hey shelly it's nice to see you and i am just like why do you know me like i don't because i hadn't gotten into trouble so then years later because i mean this woman spoke at my wedding like of course i still know her because she changed my life so like in my 20s i asked her i'm like why did you call me because i realized it was the first time anyone anticipated my needs so I asked her I'm like why did you call me and it was so funny she's just like Shelly you're a teacher now you know we have meetings about kids like you <laughs> she's like she's like I'll never forget your meeting she's like there were so many people there of course I wasn't there right or my mom wasn't there they had this meeting she's like and she's like everyone was so scared of you she's like everyone was so fearful because your file was in the middle and it wasn't thin and everyone was talking about this kid who was expelled and beats up people and failed all her classes and everyone was terrified and they were even wondering if this was the right place and I sat there and I'm like we haven't even met her and so then I asked her she so she's like she's like I kind of made a decision that day that I wouldn't look at that file I wouldn't read the file before you and so then I asked her I'm like did you ever she's like I didn't now I'm not endorsing not reading files, 
But I think it was a really interesting comment because I was like, those files are very biased. They're written by people who are about kids and aren't written by kids. And and it's, I think like she told me that and I was so thankful she said she told me that story because I think there is a lot of fear around kids uh-huh. and there's a lot of bias around kids. And so like that, ex- that I love you asked that question because that question right there that you asked me that you, I didn't even know you were going to ask me oh. to find <laughs> my whole philosophy as a teacher. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do we anticipate needs and how do we get to know kids before their paper? Yeah, that I I have goosebumps, right? Because what a small it's a small gesture. Right? So small. So small that has such a big impact. And it it goes by again, like what you believe in. It was it was she knew the history, but oh, she yeah. didn't she she didn't she run wasn't scared. She didn't no, she wasn't she scared. Wasn't she didn't run. Scared. She embraced it and it was strength-based. Yeah. It was like that's you it. Know, I just want to get to know you as a human being right? and when you and i mean and the more that i get into this work the more and this is goes beyond disability but like there is a privilege of not of people not knowing your whole story before you show up exactly and yep. i think there's so much like oh just racism. we have to ask why and we have to ask why when it comes to to, oh, to behaviors right instead no, totally, of just going it, by the file right? but it becomes conversations and if you look historically at files, yeah, and the history of kids, like there's 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 so, and I understand why we have them, but there hasn't been a lot of attention to like what goes in there, and you know the voices that go in there, and they've become sometimes for some kids a, a very problematic collection of ableist and racist mm-hmm. artifacts, and so like, and I mean now we're in the '90s, people aren't aware. You know, this, these weren't conversations that were happening in Alberta, right, at the time in education. And so, you know, I think that we're becoming more aware, but like, you know, there's, there's, and I think even about families, like, fa- like the conversations that happen about kids and families, I think are, you know, and that's why a lot of the work is really moving towards like, let's stop having conversations about kids and families. Let's start having conversations with kids and families because, like yeah. that, that, that changed my life. Yeah. You know, it's that I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, mm-hmm. we have to understand the, the whole human behind it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. How can we talk at a student or about a student and not include them in the conversation? It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. You know, Shannon, you would have appreciated this. I was in, um, I was invited to speak at Chapman university in orange County, California last week. Okay. And I was speaking to the deans of the universities in California. Like oh, it was wow. like hot shot, hot shot day. And <laughs> I was like, it was, it was unbelievable. And so I was, I was talking to them about, you know, barriers that kids are facing. And, you know, I, I I'm really careful to stay in my lane in those conversations. Like I'm not, I'm not a person, sure. of color, right? Like I can talk about disability. I can talk about queerness. I can talk about being a woman. Um, and so I was, I was talking about how, you know, when we're trying to anticipate barriers for students, which is important, you know, um, like how important it is to get the multiple perspectives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to determine those barriers. And so then a researcher, a a woman in the crowd, she's just like, Shelly, can I just speak? And she was, she was a woman, a black woman. And she goes, Shelly, like, I just, I need to reiterate what you're saying. She's like, because I don't think 
people realize how big this is. She's like, I live every day and I cannot take this identity away. I can't hide this. I can't pretend to not be a woman of color. She's like, so like, it's so critical that we make sure we're including voices of those who have the lived experiences because there's no way someone who doesn't have my lived experience can anticipate my barriers. And it was such a really important point because I think like as educators, we are so Mm well-meaning. We are very well-meaning and we can think about barriers all we want, but if we don't have the lived experiences of the students, their families, their histories, we cannot meet their needs. And it's become this, like, a driving force in these conversations around inclusion. Like, we cannot do this about kids and families anymore because we do not have their lived experience. And I was so thankful for that woman to say that because she could say it and I couldn't. And so to hear from her perspective that, like, I cannot anticipate her barriers, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. profound. That's profound. Yeah, that's... huge. That's that's that, powerful. It's so, so powerful. powerful. I so know. Powerful. And I was just like, oh, this is, and it's one of those things that happen, and you're like, I got to file that away as a learning that I never want to forget. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was such an, it, it was such a fascinating and respectful and calling in dialogue that mm-hmm. I was so thankful for. That's, that's how could that's, I? That's, that's, that's going to be a future, future, future podcast episode challenge. Honestly, I think, honestly. I think you got to, you got to write that down. But then I think too, like, you know, as a special educator, I was taught to be the expert, right? Yes. And I was taught that like, you know, come to me if you need help with this student. And I mean, I am as guilty as any special educator for not including students and families in their IEPs and in their planning, right? And I just mm-hmm. like, it, it gives me hives to think about. I'm like, I cannot do this work without the student and the family and I think I'm just so thankful for that learning because it makes the practice so much richer when we have those voices oh oh I, I like I said I can't I I couldn't agree more um mm-hmm. you're I'll make it a five more minute video yeah, there we go you gotta make it into a five more minute you speaking of five more minutes you know you are I think the metaphor and symbol queen of oh, explaining things and, and, and I love it because it makes it realistic. Okay. So one of my, so I've got two that are, are my favorite, but okay. the first one is the one about the flowers in the, in the garden, right? The garden. So, yes. Right. Okay. So now I know that this was um, gifted to you. You didn't come up. Yeah. With this, this is one, not right? my metaphor. So the metaphor is for listeners who have not heard this, if the flower is not thriving, we could pull the flower, but if we want all the flowers to thrive, we need to fix the soil. Now you say that we need to fix the soil. That means like the classroom, right? Context, the other yep. students, right? The, the context. Mm-hmm. And the flower is a student. But here's 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 my issue with it. And this yeah. is I, I agree 100 percent right? Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 exactly what we need to do for someone who gets it and buys into that, mm-hmm. but needs an example of what that could look like in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Can you give give me an example? Like yeah, so the 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 reason so Alexander Dehir is is the yes. or is the person who made that metaphor. Good job, Alexander. Um, yeah, totally. And so the reason why I like it, and this might help answer the question, mm-hmm. is special education evolved out of 
the model of disability called the medical model, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is disability is a medical condition. It's something that needs to, we need to find out what's wrong. Like that's, we go to the doctor when something is wrong. And so we, we have all been conditioned to look at disability through this lens of something's wrong. They're not where they should be. Let's assess, let's diagnose, let's make a plan to fix them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well-meaning, yeah. well-meaning. Over time, the disability community is just like, hey, hi, I'm not broken. Like, this is who I am. And I mm-hmm. kind of feel like kinship there because I feel like when I came out, everyone said to my mom, I'm so sorry. You know, and it's exactly how we talk to parents who have kids with disabilities. And it's just super problematic because I love being gay. Number two. So like I say, the best reason, the best thing you can do to learn how to navigate a problem is to talk to people with lived experiences. So the disability community said, hey, there's another way you can meet my needs <laughs> without calling me a medical problem. Um, and so the, the disability community has said another, another way to look at disability is the social model, which is if someone's not successful, maybe it's not something wrong with them. Maybe something is wrong around them. So the best example of this, because we understand things in the concrete world, there's a person who uses a wheelchair. They're trying to get to the coffee shop. It's up five stairs. Is the problem the person or is the problem the stairs? What would you say? The The stairs. stairs. Everybody says the stairs because it's obvious. The person can't change who they are. Add a ramp. Like, (laughs) it's... The stairs that's good for every, and like you say, yeah, that's good for everyone, right? This is why the disability community like rolls their eyes when people put hundreds of thousands of dollars into stair climbing wheelchairs, because the problem isn't the chair. The problem is the stairs. You could put hundreds of thousand of dollars into a stair climbing wheelchair that's going to break, and it helps one person. You could add a ramp; it helps every person. Okay, so this is okay. this is this is the perfect. This is why I like the flower metaphor because you know. Flowers are not broken. They need something in their environment that they're not getting. Okay. So in the wheelchair example, the soil is the stairs. Okay. Now this weird thing happens when things get conceptual. When we move from concrete to concept, things get funny. So if, for example, the coffee shop is a learning standard and the student is not meeting the learning standard, we have been conditioned and trained to say something's wrong with them. Something's wrong mm. with the student. If they're having behavior challenges. They need to go to a different coffee them. shop. Something's wrong with them. If they're having anxiety, something's wrong with them. And these are well-meaning people. We are well-meaning people. But we forget as soon as it goes from concrete to conceptual, we switch from something's wrong with the stairs to something's wrong with the person. Mm-hmm. Now, there's always going to be people, all of us have individual needs. But those individual needs are going to be, is the word exacerbated? Is that the word like? Exasperated? Exasperated. They're going to be unmanageable if we're putting all our resources into the individual. Because the biggest problem is not the person. It's the stairs. It's always the stairs. Okay, so a great example of this, and this is why I'm a big UDL, Universal Design for Learning Mm -hmm. UDL focuses on the stairs. What are things we can do to reduce the pairs, the stairs? So a great example of this is let's talk about engagement. The very first UDL principle. Okay, if a kid is not engaged. Instead of thinking what's wrong with them, we think, well, maybe it's not interesting. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. 
So what can we do to reduce that barrier? We can offer choice. Choice is a way to reduce the stairs. Yeah. Okay. We could, we could harness student interest. If they like trains, we're going to bring in some trains. Then it's not about changing the person. It's about changing the stairs. Right. And Mm -hmm. so like, that's a really obvious example, but like, Basically, UDL says there's three barriers that are in the way in every classroom. You can be the best teacher in the world, and these barriers will always exist because school wasn't designed to be inclusive. The Mm -hmm. first one is, how are kids, what are barriers to engagement, right? What are barriers to engagement? Then what is, what are barriers to get information in, new information Mm -hmm. in? And -hmm. what are barriers to get information that they've learned out? That's it. Gotcha. But they're pedagogical. They're not physical. So often when we ask people, what are the barriers, you know, getting in the way for access? People say, oh, the font is too small or the door isn't wide enough for the wheelchair or there isn't a ramp or the tables are screwed down. Those are all physical barriers. Yes. But the biggest barriers in education are pedagogical and instructional. But we get Mm -hmm. funny because we've been conditioned to think. Yeah. And been trained that we're experts yeah and that if someone's not understanding what i'm teaching it's because something's wrong with them see that's what so you're saying is some vulnerability and some security that, that's right that. we, we got to put the mirror up to mm-hmm. ourselves you do and question what we're doing okay so here's here's a scenario i'll share mm-hmm. with you and see if i if i, I hit the mark or not okay yeah. so i had uh so a student in my english class and because i am standards based as you know yeah. so my focus is on the standard i've got can i just pause you standard. Just, oh sure yeah, yeah. Just pause sure. You? sure standards based approaches yes reduces barriers yes thank you good go Scared ahead keep going there no. <laughs> Like that, okay. Woo-hoo. Okay. That alone, so, you produce okay, barriers. So, okay. So thank you. All right. Okay. And the podcast's over. No, I'm just joking. Um, so here's the situation. So we're looking at writing and we're looking at making different moves. You've probably seen me tweet this, right? Making small moves, moderate moves, bold sweeping moves. And I'm getting the kids to do personal narratives. And I've um, stumbled upon a student who has shut down. He, they will not uh, mm-hmm. do the learning opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. First thing I did is I, I got down to their level and talked to them. And this is a grade 10 student. So this is not a little person, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I and I talked to them about why. And they, I just don't, I don't like the the topic. I don't like that. Okay, well, why is it? And I ended up discovering that based on some issues with their own personal, we're talking about clinical anxiety and depression, the idea of talking about themselves mm-hmm. brought up too many emotions. Mm-hmm. And so I could have been like, well, that's the assignment and everybody's doing it. So I'm sorry, but I guess you fail. You know, Mm -hmm. instead, what I did is I went, okay, what, what do you want to write about? Right. Mm -hmm. What, what do you want to write? What's, what's interesting to you? So I still want to make it personal, but I wanted him to talk about something that he was going to be engaged in. And I can't, I think it was something about, you know, gaming or movies or something like that. We're, we get too caught up, like you said, well, and what you just I've got just, this content and this is the way everyone has to do it all the, the irony same is, way. The irony is that there is no content goal that says you have to write about yourself. Ex- so, yeah. I mean, like, and this is why yeah. going standards-based reduces barriers because standardized means everyone has to meet the same goal in the same way, in the same amount of times, the same level of complexity. It standardizes the task. That's right. The BC curriculum, there is no standardized tasks. 
That's right. Like we have the most flexible curriculum in the world. I cannot find a more flexible curriculum than the curriculum we have in British Columbia. And so, you know, like what's the learning standard if the standard is about, you know, writing, Mm -hmm. there is, there's no, like, (laughs) there is no curricular goal that says you have to write about a certain particular topic. And so that's why I think like shifting to standards based is probably like, oh, it's the most equitable thing we can do in our pedagogy because, and and God bless you for saying no, honestly, because I know it, it doesn't lower the expectation. All it does is provide a ramp beside the stairs. You're also not abandoning the stairs. (laughs) Yeah. So long as, yeah, see, and, and that's, and, and this is, and it's starting with that though, right? Like that's the issue that with I the think. Stairs? No, no, that we start with the standard, right? And that we always move backwards always. from the standard. And that's so, again, that's that's the biggest difference between well, we were that all and taught, like forward we were design. All taught, well, yeah, we were taught what are my tasks. Yep. September you do this, October you do this, you know? November you do this. Yeah. And instead of saying what are my goals? Right. Because they're, I mean, Katie Novak, she describes it as, oh, I know, firm goal, flexible means. Yeah. Right. Like that, like yeah. that right there. I'm like, okay, so like we're not abandoning the goal. This yeah. isn't cheating. This isn't, no, this isn't, we're not adapting. Like nothing has been adapted or modified if we right. just change the means. And I think that there's a, there's a big myth around that. And I'm just like, you can think there's a myth around that and you can hold on to your standardized tasks until, you know, your hands, you know, fall mm-hmm. off. But, if you're doing that, that's actually the barrier. Mm-hmm. The barrier is you because there is no, not you, but like, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, conceptually you. Because yeah. in British Columbia, there are, there is no, there is not, there are no standardized tasks. Even the standardized exams that exist are low stakes. Like there is, there, there are no stakes. There are no stakes. That's what I mean. Like there are no, there is, there is no better place on the planet than to shift to standard-based design than in British Columbia. Yeah. Because we have the most room and the most flexibility. And so if we are holding on to standardization, we are the problem. Yeah, actually, I shouldn't say it's no stakes. I should say it's low stakes because there are some you know very few universities that look you know at the grade. So okay, it's I'll annoying it. stakes. So in case, in case, yeah, I know. In case, you know. But it doesn't change the grade. At me. I know it, it doesn't. doesn't. No, it no, is zero stakes. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a stake if you need it. Yeah. But it does not impact your evaluation in a course. I love it. Yes, me too. Because that means we can focus on teaching and learning. Yeah. And the, you know what, there's, and here's the thing, when you, you build criteria for a standard, right, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking like, you know, all this already, but it's, you build that, you, you get together with your staff, you design that criteria, and it's okay to have exemplars that are on the same page, and to be thinking about the types of learning opportunities that you want to do as you know, and as a, as a department so that you can get together and make sure you're aligning your assessments, but you still have to have the, yeah, you have to have the, you have to have the flexibility. So I just feel like sometimes like we try and trick kids. Sure. Right. We got to trick them to see if they know it. And I'm like, that's awful. Yeah. Why do we got to trick them? The goal isn't to trick them. No. You know? No, and I think and they'll, I, and I, yeah, I think they'll the get that, that after a while. They have to, we have to, to try, right? I just think like it doesn't Ugh. mean you have to abandon 
we don't have to abandon curriculum to do this work. And I think that's the biggest fear and misunderstanding. You can, you, a whole department can align to standards. Exactly. Mm, right. But yeah, like, yeah. and I think, and so I think the fear comes from not knowing what to do. Yeah. Which is exactly. why I appreciate like the work that you do and the work that Katie's doing. And, you know, there's some incredible educators in this province who are, you know, fighting standards-based fight. Yeah. Because it can single-handedly open up curriculum for kids. And it's yeah. just, if that's yeah. the only thing you change in your teaching, that's what I would choose. So another thing I think we need to change in our teaching has to do with, I think, my favorite metaphor. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Which it's is, my, my favorite is, metaphor, oh, too. Baked potato. Dr. Baked Potato. Oh. Dr. Baked Potato. I have to tell you two things. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. Okay. 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 Yeah. No, you go. Yeah. So number one, I never realized the benefit of having food metaphors so much because everywhere <laughs> yeah, I travel, right. I get fed baked potato. Cake, cakes and, and, cake. and, and baked potato. Baked potato. It's amazing. It's amazing. No, and so I like those things. It's great. Number two nice. is I remember when I was doing my master's at SFU. Um, Because how how I understand complex things is through metaphors. But it was during my master's that I realized that those help, like metaphors help other people too. Mm -hmm. And so like, if I were to give my middle school experience the credit for making me feel like I'm smart, my grad school experience taught me that I have something to offer. And the difference between those things is what I want kids to feel. But like, you know, like if your strength is seeing something from a different perspective, how do you, how does that contribute to your community? I had no idea that how I learned was, could be beneficial to others. And so when I realized that I'm like, let's go metaphor, let's go metaphor wild. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And I love that baked potato metaphor because again, it's so connected to standards-based reform. Okay. Sp explain it for us, Shelly. Okay, for people so, who who have never uh, <laughs> heard the baked potato okay. analogy, because this this so, is the biggest problem, one of the big problems in classrooms, right? Well, we were all we are, taught, you know, we were all taught teach the most complex and adapt and modify. And adapting and modify is a retrofitting process that will always take more resources. Always look in look in architecture; it will always take more resources to retrofit something that's already created. And so the metaphor is serve everyone a fully loaded baked potato and see how many people pick off their toppings for mm -hmm. one reason or another instead of actually getting to know who's eating who you know and anticipating possible toppings and letting people decide what goes on their potato but also not abandoning what's essential which is what's what's the essential under what's the essential component of a big potato is the potato so we have to make sure everyone gets a potato and we have to make sure everyone has the opportunities to have all the toppings they want, but it's an additive approach instead of a reductive approach. Mm -hmm. So your resources go into ensuring that everyone has opportunities to get the toppings and knowing what the toppings are, but then handing over control for the actual people to decide what goes on their potato instead of assuming that everyone's going to eat bacon bits. Right. And it's very hard to take Student bacon agency. It's huge. agency too. You can't do this yep. without kids. And yeah. so then I always make the joke, like, it's so hard to take melted butter off a hot potato. <laughs> it's impossible. It's like pretty much uh -huh. impossible. And I feel like that's what we, we've been taught to do in special education. Well, that's what we do with our EAs, right? Yeah, that's right. What, like, like, how do we oh, take the melted butter off a potato? And I'm like, we, 
Yeah, well, we, yeah, like we, the, the assignment is given and it now becomes the job of the EA to try to retrofit it for the students to see how they can Which get them to a do it. Deficit approach. So the kids, even with all of that effort, they're not going to want to eat the potato because it's no. like, well, no, no one else is eating this potato. I don't want to no. eat it. So then all of that energy and resources have gone into a retrofitting approach. It will always take more resources to retrofit. Okay. So, so let's this flip is this around. Yeah. So here's additive. Additive. So this this brings me to my the next 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 um question and that has to do with okay so if we don't have the different model in our school where instead of segregating kids and the teacher is okay so what am I trying to say I'm trying to say that if we don't have the model for teaching and learning and assisting students in our school, the way you envision it, the way I envision it. And I'm a teacher working in a silo. Okay. So I'm trying to do this in my own classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Where I, how do, how do we, how do we do that if we're working in a silo, if it's not something that is embraced by the entire school? Well, what I love about the baked potato, it actually incorporates two different frameworks, okay? Okay. And they're not new. They just can't be done in a standardized way. And so when you shift to standards-based design, this opens up the possibility of these frameworks. So the first framework, it's called the planning pyramid. It's from the 50s. And it actually was designed for gifted pedagogy, which means how do you add on complexity? And it kind of was just like, well, wait a second. If we can add on complexity, why don't we don't start from what's most complex let's start from what's essential and so the planning pyramid takes a standard and divides into three levels of complexity so that's that's the essence of a continuum okay Mm -hmm. so it's like take your grade level standard three levels of complexity what's essential and how do we add on complexity like that's the basic design okay but it's still within grade level but the range in our classroom is beyond just grade level and so then the continuum kind of built on the planning pyramid and said okay well how do we create access and challenge and so you become you have a five point continuum now that has your planning period in the middle that stretches to include an access point and a challenge point which is why i hate the new reporting order because they've eliminated the access point which is a huge problem mm-hmm. it is a huge problem so i've just added it in i've made mm-hmm. the executive Me decision added in yep so this five point continuum basically combines research and pedagogy around the planning pyramid and learning continuums to say, how do we create an entry in? How do we create an exit out? Everyone has the same opportunities, okay? okay. So that's the that's the theory. Now, what I like about this is that you can apply that in a classroom, in a department, in a school, in a district, in a province. Like there's different infrastructure around that at every level. So like as a classroom teacher, even if no one else is doing it, you can still do that because in the end it aligns with, especially in British Columbia, almost aligns to the language of like um, the evaluation feedback. Right, 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 right. This is also why the word proficient is problematic because the whole point of proficiency is that the planning pyramid takes proficiency and creates a window instead of a benchmark. Okay. Right? So to mm-hmm. have one column as proficient is making the continuum standardized. Okay. So the proficiency, the proficiency is the three in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then extending that. And so the word that I prefer is essential 
for what's em- what's emerging because it's actually not emerging it's essential <laughs> right yes yeah emerging sounds more like the access point right no no well emerging is approaching okay gotcha okay. approaching yeah yeah, yeah. Part no, i mean the word else. emerging kind of oh, sounds totally. like the it's the access point right because we yeah, have yeah, to yeah. communicate that that's essential you have to and then, and then people use the yes. whole seed metaphor and they're like oh we have to get here for proficient and i'm like but you skip the seed stage the seed stage is right. essential Yes. It's not a skip, but if we say proficient is here, everyone's skipping. Yeah. We've made it a one point yeah. rubric of standardization instead of what the actual continuum is meant to be, which is that's that's exactly essential. it. Essential. How do we add on complexity? So I uh, like essential yes. developing confident, and all three of those are proficient mm-hmm. at different levels of profession pro- of proficiency. That's the point. It's called differentiated curriculum. Yes. So the whole, yeah, Yeah. so the way, yeah. And, you know, you and I very similar where I live at this scale is, is so problematic. It's all, it's all, that's why it's called a proficiency scale. Like I think you're right. Like we could, I mean, I mean, we could, you know, pick apart the headings. I mean, we could use emojis or numbers or letters or names of rock bands. The whole point of the continuum is yeah. that it's an additive measure yes. of a window of growth. Yes. Based on the literature of the planning pyramid, which is differentiated yes. curriculum from the 50s. Like this isn't yeah. new. Yes. But what's happened is it's that people hold on to the fear. They're yes. like, if we don't say this is proficient, we are lowering expectations. No, no, we're not. We're creating a window of expectations because That's not right. all of our kids are exactly the same. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like fear has guided us a little bit. And then yeah. coming out of a coming out of a pandemic to eliminate approaching, we've just now created, we just eliminated the zone of proximal development for probably 80% of the students in our province right now. Yeah. No, you the your your ideas around access points is is so it's we so powerful. We look at the four-point proficiency scale as levels of proficiency emerging is that minimal essential, right? Essential. Yeah. I like that's the word essential. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm that's like a that. pass. I know. And that I is, that's that. a pass. That's the potato. No, no. That's I know. That's 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 what they need, right? It's worth the most. To, yeah. And then in terms of if you then if you look at the diet, if you have the then you meet your class, and when you realize that mm-hmm. you've got you know, 10 students who can't get to emerging, then you create those windows, those access points, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like you've talked about, which is not going to hurt anybody, right? Did you know that it's still growth-based? It makes them feel like it's successful. And I've had teachers- It creates a scaffold to get to grade level. That's right. Without it, the step is too high. That's, yeah. I mean, in the States, here's here's a little stat for you. Okay. In America, the access point, which is often re- referred to as an alternate standard, it takes the grade level standard and makes it inaccessible. It's actually law. Every state standard has to have an alternate standard or an access point. It doesn't mean they're done well all the time, but it's, it's, it's communicating that there's always going to be a range of kids who don't come to you at grade level. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they can't get there. It just means that we have to anticipate that scaffold because they will yes. always exist. And so to eliminate it means that we are expecting students to come to us. It expects the should, not the yeah. are. And if there's anything, if I have to swim to Victoria to change that, I will. See, and that's what I really like about 
the new the BC I, I've got to stop calling it new curriculum the redesigned curriculum yeah, for, yeah, yeah. even though we've had it for like what six or seven years anyway it but each of the curricular competencies which is the standards we're talking about right the language essentially stays the same from grade level to grade oh, levels so it's totally. easy then to look at k to 12 you're beautiful on this vast curriculum and that's beautiful. why and i it's and i've told educators right when you're designing you know all you literally have to do is kind of shuffle one over yeah. you know and and keep the continuing continuum going but i mean that's, but it's also that, like the combination of how do we build our competencies by using yes. more complex content, which yes. is why the act, yes. just why I love continuums, because like it is unrealistic to expect that everyone's coming to us with the same background knowledge, with the same level of complexity, navigating a pandemic. Like we have to anticipate that need. Yeah. It doesn't mean we're abandoning expectations because it's still within a grade level standard. But if if we did have standardized exams, the biggest barrier to a standardized outcome is not having access to grade level curriculum. Mm -hmm. And how you get access to grade level curriculum is by creating a continuum of growth. Mm -hmm. So this is why, like, I love continuums. I love standards-based approach. I think it actually pays attention to the pedagogy and instructional design that has to happen for inclusion to work. Um, you can't just adapt and modify. That's the, the, the most inefficient inclusive process, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it means we have to start understanding that both our thinking and our, our I mean, every educator in this province has to start reflecting on not just how we change our thinking or not just how we change our practice, but how they change together in order yeah. to do this work. Yeah. And it, now this brings up, um, I took your, your, your course last year where I yeah. learned about a supplementary and replacement goals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about continuums and we talk about how the standards stay, this essentially stay, this the language stays the same from grade level to grade level. When we have where our classrooms are becoming more inclusive and instead of, you know, chucking the kid to the back of the room doing, you know, a, a work art worksheet or a coloring money. page. Money. We can, I know, but we can, if we've got that, you know, okay. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak better in terms of an example. So I'm doing cause yeah. and consequence with my students in grade eight. I've got yeah. a couple of uh, lovely students who have uh, intellectual disability. They need a replacement goal. They're delightful. Doing cause and consequence, fall of Rome. I went back and looked at other grade levels for the same competency so I could see what their goals were. And yet I used the same content as everybody in the class. So you envision this. I've got all of these students. So let's say I've got 26 students making cause and consequence chains. And then I've got these two, you know, with their EA support, making their own cause and consequence chains using the same you know, just fewer, you know, fewer um, content pieces to make it accessible. And then when the whole class wandered around and shared with each other, how exciting it was for them. Like you could just see them, they're wandering around and they're noticing, oh, I have that one too. Come and look at my chain. Right. Mm -hmm. And the kids are seeing that they're all, they're working on the same thing altogether. Like, I mean, all, that's not a very clear explanation of it, no, but like what you've done, but it's is, not hard. No, it's so possible, but it, it's, it's moving away from everyone has to do the same task. Exactly. Everyone has to meet the same goal. Everyone can meet the same goal. Yes. Right? Yeah. It reminds me, it reminds me of like, cause I think a lot, there's a lot of fear. Cause I remember I had a conversation with a science teacher, science 10, and he's like, 
again, well-meaning. And I had put a registered student with Down syndrome in his class. And he's just like, Shelly, I love inclusion. I have no idea what to do. You know, I'm like, I have no idea what to do. And I'm like, okay, I can work with that. I can't Uh work with, it's not possible, but I can work with, I don't know what to do. So let's figure this out. I'm like, I need your expertise because you're the curricular expert. Let's figure this out together. And so as I'm like, hey, what's your next unit? What's your next unit? And he's like, the the periodic table of elements. And I'm like, okay, why are you teaching the periodic table of elements? He's like, it's in the curriculum. I'm like, okay, okay. Why is it in the curriculum? He's like, because it's important. I'm like, why is it important? And it's like, you you just keep asking why. And eventually you get that. He's getting frustrated. And finally, he's just like, because Shelly, the world is organized. And I'm like, there it is. And that's like those big ideas, just like cause and consequence. Those are big ideas that transcend Mm -hmm. grade level, right? They are concepts that are, can be accessible to anyone. And with, when you find a concept, you can use any content. And so for our student with Down syndrome, who was looking at how the world is organized, we still used elements of the periodic table elements. What's heavy? What's light? What's solid, liquid, gas, and how it was organized. And do you know who benefited from that the most? everybody because no one knew why they were learning about the periodic table of elements they're like i'm doing this because they were relying on Mm -hmm. compliance not understanding and so when you under when you finally find the concept like cause and consequence and you can make that if you make that accessible for everyone you've now just increased engagement and motivation for the whole class because you're not relying on kids learning something because of compliance they're learning something because it's because they understand why it's important in the world And I think it offers actually a huge contribution to classrooms, especially in high school, where mm-hmm. we rely so much on compliance to be like, well, wait a second, can we make this idea meaningful to anyone? And you can't, like presuming competence is about how do you make anything accessible to anyone, right? But to actually go through that process, even the teacher was just like, I understand the curriculum better. hmm Right. And I think like that is a contribution of our students with intellectual disabilities because it forces us outside of the box of skill. It forces us out of the box of content and starts to look at why does this matter to anyone? Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought that our intellectual disabilities hold the answer to education. And I stand by that statement. (laughs) You know, and, and I would agree. I actually, my, when within my first couple of years of teaching, I actually was a special needs resource teacher. Did you oh, know that? That explains. Oh. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. It was thrust upon me. I had no prior knowledge. I had no formal training. But back then, when you're offered a continuing contract, you take it. And sure. I'll tell you, well, schools start closing a couple of years later. And so it saved yeah. my bacon job wise. But I'll tell you, between working with those students as a resource teacher and then becoming an elective teacher and then now an academic teacher I have actually recommended to student teachers that I said if you get the chance Mm -hmm. to work as a resource teacher even though it's going to scare the pants off of you it'll make you a better teacher I honestly think I'm so thankful made me a better teacher because I got to see each student on their own learning journey. So mm-hmm. the supplemental goals, re, you know, replacement yes. goals, all that, that's coming in your next book. <laughs> uh, you yep. see what I did there, I have, right? I have a chapter that's due today. So, <laughs> so Shelly's Shelley's infamous, book, infamous book is One Without the Other, Stories of Unity Through Diversity and Inclusion. And then coming 
within the soon? next soon. That's all I'm going to say soon. Is all for one. All for one. Okay. Inclusive tell me about inclusive tell me what's happening with that. IEPs. So. Oh, nice. Okay. IEPs are a mountain I'm climbing in this world because if we're shifting to inclusion, which we are, because it's the right thing to do, and it's good for everyone. Um, we have to shift probably the biggest elephant mountain range in education, which is the deficit approach to disability in special education. And IEPs are deeply rooted within that system. And we are shifting to view strengths for all kids. We are shifting to competencies for all kids. We're shifting to... Um, uh, standards based for all kids and yet special education students in the corner of the building who would benefit from it for the most are still using very outdated and archaic and deficit-based processes and um, but it's a dynasty and people are having a hard time letting go so this book is about why it is important to move IEPs to shift them um, so that they can actually inform and help align with classrooms that we are including them in instead of it being a separate you know, different and contradictory task than what's happening in classrooms already. And um, like, I think about the example you just shared with the competencies that can you imagine these kids are doing this incredibly deep work with the grade level curriculum. And then you also have an IEP that you have to evaluate about that they have to say hi 80% of the time, nine times out of 10 until like it, it's not only disconnected it's contradictory to what kids are actually capable of in inclusive classrooms and so um, but it's a fight because special educators have a very hard time letting go because it's probably the oldest and most outdated practice in education <laughs> mm-hmm. and someone actually said like you can take the smarkles from my cold dead hands I'm like smarkles are a business model around behavior they are not an education model for growth and learning and so I will fight this to the death and this book is coming out that has all the research and the pedagogy and the explanation about why this why this work needs it's it's, it's required see it you to, later smart goals see you later that's right. my favorite video right. because see right wow so, does people get so mad at me shannon they get so mad i know i you know huh i you know there is I, no there I is hear no ya. curricular standard on the planet that is written as a smart goal for a non-disabled student what does that say so what are your next videos coming out? I know you're working on them. The first video is going to be in October. Okay. And it's going to be, the first video is about, about the garden. <gasps> My new favorite metaphor, which is <laughs> the seed packet. Do you know about the seed packet? Oh. God, you don't okay the seed packet is my new metaphor. It's my new favorite and I love it. Okay. okay. And it's really about student voice. Okay, I'm excited. I'm so excited. So you got the book, you've got that, and then you are also relaunching your podcast. Yes, and my website. Yes, it's going right? through. It's going through all the redesign right now. Yeah, I hired a I hired a group to do it. It looks so good. So September's nice. going to be nice, the nice, re-release. Nice. Nice. You'll see the videos, you'll see the resources. Um, we'll have a little intro, and then October, everything's getting getting kicked up again. podcast and video oh my gosh so and I want to leave just one last little little nugget and it's my favorite part about my Saturday mornings are book club book club which kind of came up I I tell you book club you included it in your PhD doctor Dr. Shelley Moore 
I, know I did. I, I sure a chance did. To talk about your your PhD, but you know, okay. But here's the thing. I love that book club. You and Jessica and Meta and Eben, right? Eben. Mm-hmm, Eben. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. I said it correctly. Yeah, you did it. Okay. And you know, you're so real. You're so authentic. You're vulnerable. Like it's <laughs> real life. I get real life. Right. And you know, we, we come for the show, we come for your wisdom and then it switches gears. And then we've got the books that we're reading and we get really, really deep and profound. It's so good. And if it's that for anybody who has never, anyone listeners who want to check it out, it's Saturday morning, Saturday mornings. We, we call it the inclusive book club because you don't have to read the book to be a part of it. Right. Right. And many what, don't. What do you, what do you love? <laughs> Shelly, what do you love most yeah. about book club? What do you, you love know what? most? I think like book club started out of a uh, panic of the pandemic. Right. Um, I am a very social being and all of a sudden I was housebound as we all were four months and I'll never forget. I had got a new book in the mail and I was sitting on my deck and I just went live on Instagram for the first time and I was like hi everybody and I felt this connection that I needed so badly and I was like we're doing this every day every day we and it started we did we met every day of the pandemic yeah. because we just needed each we other had nothing else to do right? had nothing else to do and we read this book and we it, it got me out of bed it saved me from depression <laughs> like the pandemic mm-hmm. was so hard on me and that book club kept me going and you know we don't meet every day anymore but we I can't let go of it because I'm so thankful for the community that it had formed that has formed from it we have people from all over the world who who come in and say hi and we we have the most devoted the most devoted book club and we call everyone the book club aunties because they were also a whole part of meta meta's birth and being a part of because because meta when we started meta wasn't born so like book club has gone through the whole journey of our kids and our renos and it's just become this community that we meet with and I and I love them and everyone I go to speaking events people are like I'm part of book club and it's just like a reunion yeah it brings a connection that I never honestly never thought was possible in the virtual space but wow I'm so glad that I found it because book club is a lifeline sometimes it helped you embrace the messy it helped me. I think you should try and fit that into every interview, Shannon. Oh, I do. Actually, this is the one interview I found myself actually not saying it as often. So, but embrace you know, you do embrace the messy. The messy. So we're going to end with messy. With, with, yeah, it's messy, and it's it's messy, beautiful, but messy and yeah. messy, ugly at times. And anyway, I appreciate it. I love the Saturday mornings. Um, I, I really do. So let's end with the elevator pitch. Elevator pitch is what I do with all of my okay, guests. Okay, okay. So I'm the ready. idea is you're on. Okay, so Shelly, you're on the fourth floor. Okay, okay. someone gets on. And yeah. they hit the seven. Okay. So you've got three floors sure. and that elevator, Shelly, that, sh- that elevator is not sh- stopping. Okay? okay. Okay. You need to try to inspire them to embrace the messy of inclusion. What kind of thing will you, what can uh, you say to kind of, to lift them up? I know you yeah. can't tell them everything, but what can you no, do no, to no. lift them up? Three there's floors. Two, there's two things that I would say. The first thing is disability is an identity in this world that will touch all of us. And there is an essential need in our education systems to embrace and learn from disability for all of our benefit. 
Number two, when things get messy, which they will when there's change, that's where you find the growth. And so as much as I have feared the mess for years, because it's exhausting, you when you're 44, you realize that every time things get messy, you come out knowing more than you did before. And I've learned to really appreciate the mess because that's how we learn and that's how we grow. Embrace the messy. Embrace the messy. Lean in. Lean in. It'll make you a better person. (laughs) Dr. Moore. Dr. Shelley Moore, my friend. Thank you for guiding all of us. And thank you for helping me on my own messy journey of making my classrooms more inclusive. You and Jessica and your whole family, they're just gifts for the world. Thank you. They are. Thank you so All right. much. I've, All right. I really enjoyed connecting with you in, in actual real time today and not just over a tiny screen with text. So um, um, no kidding, right? and I just am so grateful for the work you're doing. So keep going because I know you're, you're on the edges and it's hard to be on the edges sometimes. So just keep going, keep your head up and know that you got, you got a whole, you got a whole army supporting you. Thank you for listening to the Embrace the Messy podcast. This podcast was produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Tene First Nation. I feel truly blessed to be able to live, work, and play here. I'd love to hear from all of my listeners. If you are inspired by someone who embraces the messy and would like me to interview them on the podcast, or you have feedback about an episode, send me an email at embrace the messy podcast at gmail.com don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode this is shannon shinkle signing off reminding you to embrace the messy bye